The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Hey Rockheads, shift your bits to the left and listen up. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Lawrence Ryan announcing show number 594 with guest Charles Petzold, recorded live Sunday, July 27, 2010. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. And now offering Silverlight 4 video training with Billy Hollis on DVD, DNR TV style. Order your copy now at www.franklins.net. Support is also provided by Teller, combining the best in Windows forms, WPF, Silverlight, and ASP.NET controls with first-class customer service. Online at www.telerik.com. And now... A man who's a few digits shy of pi. Think about that one. Carl Franklin. Good morning. You're listening to the .NET Rocks Live Weekend. Richard and I are here. It's 9 o'clock in the morning, Eastern Time. Indeed. And uh, we have Charles Petzold on the line, the Charles Petzold. Hi, Charlie. Hi, good morning. Good to talk to you again. Yeah, it's good to be here. Where are you residing these days? Are you in New York? Yeah, I, I, I live in New York City, uh, but in the summers we spend at a little house in the Catskills. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. Life is and hard. It, it, we do have high-speed internet here, so it is, a, it is a good, solid working summer. We're starting this show off with a caller who called right before uh, we started the show. Hi, you're on the air. What's your name? My name is Paul Doherty. I'm in the Hillsborough, Oregon. Hi, Paul. You got a question for Charles? Yeah, um, I see that, um, Charles, that um, you're writing a book on uh, Windows 7 uh, phone programming. And I'm just I'm very happy to see that. Um, I learned to, to do Windows programming from your book back in 1991. So I'm wow. I'm a happy camper that you're going to help us out this time, too. <laughs> and um, I guess uh, my question is where, you know, how um, speed on the phone is going to be kind of interesting, where you consider how WPF is um is so resource intensive. And when I was at our local um code camp they said that Windows um uh, phone is gonna be they're gonna they are optimizing the speed of the lift box and stuff like that. I'm just kinda curious how you see that as far as um what they're gonna be doing for us to make the speed of the phone programs can be somewhat, you know, approximate like in like the WPF or uh Silverlight programs. Yeah the the uh performance is is a and and well, the battery life issue is is a, a big concern, obviously, and uh, I think it, though in in Silverlight programming, um, most of the time the app isn't really doing anything, and if the app's not really exercising the the CPU and the GPU, 
there, there should be, be far less battery drain. Um, and to me, Silverlight is really structured like that, isn't it? You're setting up uh, a fairly static XAML visual tree, and it's only interacting with the user when the user is touching the screen or doing something else. Yeah. Uh, the, one of the big concerns is, of course, um, uh, network access from the app. And uh, if the app has to keep uh, querying uh, stuff over the network, and uh, so they have implemented some push notifications uh, so that you can uh, do a network request and then sit around uh, and not do anything while you're waiting for a response. Yeah, I, I worry about these same things because they all the conversations we seem to be having about WinPhone Seven are focused on this idea of you know keeping not a lot of storage on the phone, always talking on the cloud, and that to me sounds like you're really going to stress the battery. You're chatting mm-hmm. all the time, and I worry how apps designed that way are going to deal with you going through a tunnel. Yeah, you know, just yeah, that, it, that it, occasionally disconnected problem. Oh yeah, yeah. The, the apps are going to have to be constructed so that they, they work or they respond, uh, re- respond well with no Internet access and they respond well with intermittent Internet access, yeah. certainly. And, and honestly, Windows hasn't got a good track record of that. Mm-hmm. You know, they, uh, even Windows 7, you, you get a bad Wi-Fi connection or you get an intermittent Internet connection, your machine is very cranky. Yeah, I think yeah. it's a very challenging art form to build a an unstable connected uh, an, a system that works well. Yeah, uh, dealing with uh, those kinds of faults. Do you have another question, or? Yeah, I guess one uh, one final thing too is that um, when I saw that um, Charles didn't have a Windows phone, I was kind of concerned that um, you know, he of all people really should be having a phone. And um, have that's kind of that yet? it's kind of a dogmatic assumption, don't you think? <laughs> Uh, People say that to me all the time, too. You have an iPhone, you're a regional director. What's up with that? <laughs> it's a good phone. Wow. No, I mean, what it means is that we're, um, when I was at Code Camp, I was able to see a phone even before Charles was. And, you oh, know, a you real, mean? A, a real Windows phone. You mean a Windows Phone 7. Right. Windows Phone 7, Oh, yeah, and, oh, oh. You know, and Charles, of all people, he should be first in line. Oh, yeah. Although, honestly, I've yet to see a Windows Phone 7 owned, uh, you know, in the possession of anyone that was not a Microsoft employee yet. And they only get them for like two days at a time, too. They're very scarce. Yeah, it is, it is my understanding uh, that nobody outside of Microsoft has a phone yet, uh, and that it's really an OEM issue, that the, the, the phone manufacturers do not want anybody outside Microsoft handling these things. Hmm. Not yet. No. Or leaving them in bars, you know. <laughs> uh, why would, how, that would never happen. <laughs> but I agree. Charles should be first in line. Um, there, there is a program to get phones out to uh, selected developers in July, and I understand that I may be on that list, which is, which is good. But I, I agree that the... Uh, you're really going to need to spend a lot of time with the actual hardware to get your, your Windows Phone 7 apps uh, running well. Um, it, it's part of the problem. I, the, the emulator, as, as your other guests have said, uh, and I was listening yesterday to, to, to uh, some segments, uh, the emulator is, is pretty good. 
uh, and and it's it's using the actual code of the phone, and and uh, you can you can see the visuals and all. However, uh, if if you consider that the primary means of user interaction with a conventional application have been for like. Uh, 25 years or so, it's been, it's been keyboard and mouse. And now we're switching over to uh, limited use of keyboard and mostly touch with some other forms of, of user interaction, such as the accelerometer. Um, and, and this touch and the accelerometer, well, the accelerometer doesn't work at all with the on-screen emulator. Right. Uh, touch works, multi-touch works, um, kind of. It's it's very very slow, um, slow meaning a fraction of a second, of course. But but you can't get a good feel for how your app is responding to multi-touch with the emulator, and this is something you really need the phone hardware with. Uh, in fact, I've I've done more exploration into multi-touch by writing XNA programs for the Zune HD. Interesting. Yes. Uh, and there you, you, you have the same type of uh, capacitance multi-touch as you're going to have on the phone, uh, but you can actually f- feel what the response is like. Well, sign off now, but and again, and thank you, Charles, for even writing the book. Oh, oh thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying the process. That's wonderful. Even though it's a little frustrating right at the moment. <laughs> yeah. That's great. Thanks for taking my call. Take care. Thanks you're for welcome. calling in. Bye. Take care. So, so what are you what are you guys detecting as as the buzz around Windows Phone Seven? Is is there really a lot of developer excitement about it, or is it, uh, as they say, too little, too late? Oh, I don't think it's too late. I think it's too early. It's everybody's got a wait and see attitude. People I know who are writing apps in the emulator seem to like it. Mm-hmm. I've seen some very cool programs. Uh, Colin Melia, who was on uh, earlier yesterday. Yes, I, I, I heard that one. Yeah, he did some great stuff with it. And um, also, um, uh, I saw a nice OData demo. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's on DNR TV, consuming OData feeds and on the phone and, and showing them. Uh, great stuff. And I still go back to uh, the dynamics of our audience at the launch event when Daniel Egan was showing off the phone. And mm. we had a couple of hundred people in the room, and those folks were very excited at the opportunity. Yeah. I think the phone was good, but it was more, they. it's like they missed the iPhone gold rush, and mm-hmm. they weren't going to miss this one. Yeah. And they yeah. you know, they were sitting on some Silverlight skills and, and thinking about how they could build an application and get it out on the marketplace and uh, maybe make a little some some money and have some fun. Yeah. It's it's uh it's been very interesting to me to watch how uh the what was originally the WPF framework yes has kind of uh evolved and moved into uh different areas with Silverlight and now on the phone. And basically we don't have a single framework for all Three platforms. No, they're, they're all a little different, aren't they? Yeah, uh, I mean, the big difference is between WPF and Silverlight, of mm-hmm. course. And then Silverlight for Windows Phone is basically Silverlight three with some other stuff thrown in there, um, and it's it's missing it's missing some pieces you would expect it to miss, like like drag and drop doesn't make a whole lot of sense on a multi touch display, but. Um, at least these three frameworks have uh, more than just a familial rep- <laughs> resemblance. Uh-huh. You know, you can actually, 
well, obviously leverage your 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 programming skills. If, right. if you know if you know Silverlight, you can jump right into the phone and start doing things for sure. And and let's face it, none of them are Objective C. Oh yes, 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 yes. <laughs> Thank God. Yeah, I think that's a, a far bigger element here is the distinct lack of Objective C. Did you do any Objective C programming? No, no. It's it's. Uh, I tried to. Um, you know, at one time I was like thinking about getting an iPhone to just you know and just like start coding for it and all. But you know, there's only so many so many frameworks this little brain can handle. This is time, awesome. You know? Objective C stumps Charles Petzold. <laughs> Too difficult for the master of you know, C. I, I've been coding. I've been coding almost exclusively in C sharp for. Um, has it been about a decade now? Yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. Has. All yeah. right. And uh, uh, going back to any other C derivative would be very, very painful. <laughs> painful step backwards. And you know pain. <laughs> I it's well paid, documented. I paid my dues. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> yeah. We have a, a tweet from uh, Jaspio. Any news on the HTML5 capabilities on the Windows Phone 7 browser? Is it the same browser as WM6.5? Windows Mobile 6.5? Yeah. Mm. Uh, that I, I do not know. My understanding is that the browser on the phone um, was was not going to be HTML5 capable. At least, how can it be, really? At, at least initially. not for the initial release. Um, uh, obviously, HTML5 is going to have a, a, a major impact on us all, uh, but it's going to be uh, slow, I think. Um, you guys were talking yesterday about a, a process of, of really, once we have something, that uh, figuring out all the, the, the browser incompatibilities and all that stuff. It's, right. it's going to be a while. And I think the phone is, is at this point, really um, for Silverlight and XNA apps. Even though you can do... <laughs> You know, even though they're advertising the the the, the two platforms as as Silverlight and XNA, uh, because Silverlight can uh, uh, communicate with JavaScript in in on a browser page, you actually can do uh, phone apps in JavaScript. <laughs> right. Yeah. I don't know that you should. No, no, I I don't I don't think you should at all. But yeah. <laughs> but some people may have a, a ton of JavaScript that they can't uh, that that works and and nobody knows exactly how, so they can't port it to some re more reasonable language, and uh, uh, you can maybe get that to work on the phone. Chris, the reality is with the Windows Phone Seven is that it's not very likely that Microsoft will license Apple's HTML five mobile engine. Mm. Like they have uh, put into the iPhone and and obviously other devices, so Microsoft's going to have to build their own HTML5 engine to run in the phone. And uh, of course, the IE9 team seems like they're hard at work at it. That might yeah, end up yeah. being ported, but I can't imagine it making the first version. Nor yeah. does it need to. Right. Yeah. Well, it's going to be interesting. Like I said, I think most people are holding their breath and waiting until they you know can get their hands on them. Although, you know, I like I said, I've seen some great demos and uh, some very excited people, but nobody will really know 
until uh, I, th- I think the excitement will come when they hit the streets. And we have a technology enthusiasm right now. We don't have a business owner enthusiasm. Hmm. Like where is the where is the business owner looking at HTML5 and saying this is going to be a huge win for me? You know, we've got to start rolling out our apps that way. Well, I don't think the business owner cares. I think it's really up to the, um, you know, the business owner just wants what people are using. Well, this is the conversation we had yesterday with uh, Rob Howard. That's right. Rob Howard was well, all. He, he doesn't care about HTML5 per se. Yeah, he just wants to He wants to hit the n- largest number of people. Right. Mm-hmm. Write it once, runs everywhere. And if that's HTML5, then fine, that's what we write in. And it, of course, this is also where we get into why the iPhones got 200,000 apps, even though you're right. programming in Objective-C. Right. Yeah. It had the yeah. biggest win potential. So people suffered the pain, the challenge of writing in that form because they wanted the opportunity. Indeed. What do you think, Charles? About, is there, do you have a specific question? Yeah, yeah. What do you, what do you think about the Windows Phone 7 in the emulator and all that? I'm really excited about it because uh, I... I have a lot of WPF and Silverlight programming skills, so I, I'm I'm looking forward to to writing a bunch of apps for it that only I can use, you know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, uh, but it's I've been kind of frustrated when I've done some blog posts about uh, Windows Phone Seven programming, and there doesn't seem to be any response or interest or something like that, and it's kind of scary. Um, I, I'm not really. Um, uh, connected to uh, get a lot of developer buzz um, usually, so it's it's hard for me to to know what other programmers are thinking about. Uh, so, but hmm. I'm I'm enjoying it, and uh, I I I think that um, once people r- realize how easy it will be to to take that app that. You, that they've done for Silverlight and move it to the phone. It's it's going to be uh, exciting. How easy will it be? <laughs> <laughs> if you're using if you're using a lot of standard controls, uh, you know buttons and sliders and list boxes, uh, putting those on the phone and having them respond to multi-touch will be uh, trivial. No big if, deal at all. Yeah. If if you and and look at the size of this screen too, it's, it's six forty by four eighty. Um, one of the interesting things will be uh, the actual uh, sizing your fonts and stuff, so they're they're uh, readable. Because uh, even though it's a it's an enormous screen, it's six forty uh, not six forty. It's it's four eighty by eight hundred. Right. Sorry. It is an enormous screen, for, but it is physically a small screen. A, a small screen, and the, uh, whereas on a, on a conventional uh, desktop machine, you have a pixel density of about 100 dpi. Right. On the phone, it's going to be more like 200 dpi. Mm-hmm. Okay, so all your fonts uh, sh- should be a little bigger, just so they're readable. Uh, so that's going to take a lot of fine-tuning. Now, what they've done is... Uh, to find a bunch of, of uh, XAML resources uh, for font sizes uh, and, and uh, text blocks so that uh, you can pick one of these and assume that it's going to be reasonable. So the uh, interesting challenge around this is going to be, have you made your app in such a way that you had a clear separation and concerns 
the, the bulk of the functionality wrap is going to be identical between a PC implementation and a phone implementation. Mm -hmm. Just the UI elements can be changed in such a way that uh, that you can read it on the phone. And, yeah. And I don't know that we've... This is a new challenge for Silverlight. We haven't exercised that part of Silverlight it, yet. Exactly. And it's, it's, it's like one of the nice things about WPF is the concept of, of the device-independent unit, or right. what some people call the device-independent pixel, uh, where you're always drawing in, in units of, of 196 of an inch, uh, and you're specifying your fonts in, 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 in that size as well, so that if, it, if this were WPF, you'd put it on the phone, and, and everything would size correctly, right. so you can, you can read it. Uh, Silverlight, though, we're working with pixels. And it, that's an interesting distinction, Charles, which I hadn't made before, is that this is one of the things that WPF does better than Silverlight. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Very, very yeah. interesting. That it, Actually, this would WPF is better suited for the phone than Silverlight is because of this concept of working in 96 of an inch. Yeah. Can't you use the, whatever scale you want with, uh, with XAML? No. <laughs> I, I thought when you, you... You're just saying that the resolution doesn't go that low. You you're you are always even though you can apply transforms and stuff to it in WPF you are always drawing in units of one ninety sixth of an inch. Now I thought in XAML in general that you could say something has a a scale width and basically create your own ratios with your own numbers. A width and based on width and height based on a ratio. Hmm. Maybe I'm wrong about that. Well, maybe maybe a caller would like to. Uh, maybe I or missed a tweeter something like, in, in WPF. Maybe no, more would... likely I did, Charles. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean maybe it was slipped in in a later version. I, there's a they slip a lot of things in, you know that that they don't really talk about that much. Well, I'm I'm sure some probably I got my wires crossed, but uh, Jaspio says on the Twitters, a colleague recently did a talk on Windows Phone Seven at Workstream people. When he said there was no Silverlight support in browser, groans all around. Yeah. In other yeah. words, the browser can't browse to a Silverlight site, yeah. even though it the browser is Silverlight. And yeah. As, and as Daniel Egan said yesterday, and you can implement a browser in Silverlight in the phone. Right. You just right. can't implement. Yeah. Uh, you can't uh, employ can't Silverlight a, in the browser. It's yeah. it's uh, yeah. Uh, don't we expect? This limitation, I, 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 sort was, of, I was yeah. not that surprised. It's just, you know, it's just it's, we want yeah. everything and we want it now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I think that's basically it. But, yeah, I mean, if you think about all the things that uh, you need to be able to support the full Silverlight framework, mm -hmm. you know, it's since it's not the full Silverlight framework mm -hmm. on the phone... Therein lies the rub. Yeah, yeah. I do think there's an opening here for Windows Phone 7 to be successful. Uh, you know, between Apple's behavior uh, around other programming environments and the, the latest sort of shenanigans in the App Store. It just doesn't seem to matter to that. I mean, they just keep raking in the cash. Yep, they're making lots of money, but they're, they're also... They're treating their customers very meanly. Yeah. They really are. So given a true alternative... Uh, not that Microsoft's actually offering an alternative yet. There's only the promise of an alternative. Right, right. Because on the other side of this is Android. We haven't put Android into this conversation at all. <laughs> Android's actually pretty cool. Yeah. I know my, my, my niece just 
just bought a, I, I, an Android-based uh, phone. I'm not sure exactly what it is, but uh, uh, I only know this because I, I, I saw she posted it on Facebook yesterday. She has a new phone. It's, it's an Android. So uh, I'll have to take a look at it sometime. Well, and, and to me, what's interesting is it feels like Android and Google is making the same mistakes that Microsoft made in the sense of no control over devices. So there's way too many. And, mm -hmm. and trying to build an application on Android that runs on all those devices is impossible. Yeah. Then yeah. there's the, the Nexus One faux pas where they go, okay, well, we're going to standardize. Here's our reference phone and annoy all of the phone manufacturers by creating a reference phone, which they now have backed off of. And then there's their app store, which is the Wild West. Mm -hmm. Anything can be put up there. There's been stuff put up there that's clearly illegal. And subsequently, you get into this battle of, we should it be removed? You know, what, is it the Wild West or not? So it seems like there's a middle ground between the mercurial, hyper-curated environment of iPhone and the insanity of Android where Microsoft could slide in there. And, and there seems to be evidence of this, right? It's mm -hmm. not just one phone. There's a few phones. There's some flexibility there, but not anything. Mm. You know, the reference platform is pretty high. They, the question mark to me more than anything is, how do we strike a balance on the app store? Yeah, yeah, that that I do not know. Um, you're, you're right about the phone hardware, though. I think w one of the things that Microsoft did right with this is that they imposed a real solid uh, hardware standard. Very high reference. Yeah. Yep. And that's it's, smart. It's every, every phone is going to have multi-touch. It's going to have the accelerometer. It's going to have a camera, mm -hmm. uh, et cetera. And um, there's only two screen sizes. There's the right. 480 by 800, uh, and the other one is uh, 320 by 480. Uh, and I don't know if anybody's really... Because the emulator runs the, the 480 by 800s, nobody's really been thinking much about the smaller screen size. But presumably, um, hmm, it, it, it's, it, it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see how that works. I hope we have hardware to look at that smaller screen size first uh, before we actually finalize our apps. It does seem like Microsoft is sort of avoiding the smaller screen size for now. They're just, yeah, we're not yeah, going to see it, any hardware like that. Yeah, yeah. And, but they're, but from what I've heard, they're adamant about the idea of apps running on both screen sizes. Right. But it's just, just, a, just a pleasure of saying both screen sizes instead mm. of all the screen sizes. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I agree. I put myself in the phone manufacturer's seat and think about making phones for this because it really feels to me like there shouldn't be more than three or four phones at most. It's very hard to distinguish your phone from others. Oh, yeah, yeah. And at the same time, there's the power of being first that people will buy your phone. Mm -hmm. And then the fear of being first, that the next phone following you is just going to have a little more battery life or a little more something, something that's going to make your phone, the, you know, the 100,000 phones you produced, unsellable. Yeah, yeah. So it's a, it's a, and then you have this whole question of, is there any ability for Microsoft to significantly penetrate the market? You know, iPad sold 3 million devices in less than three months. Yeah, yeah. I, They've really just got to make a, a killer phone. That's all there is to it. But even if it is a killer phone, they're not, I don't know as if they'll have the religious zealotry that Apple uh, seems to elicit in their customers. 
Well, there, now we get back to the whole enterprise discussion, which is why shouldn't Microsoft go back to the field they know they can win in a market that wants this product where the Silverlight in-house app can run on a PC and on the phone and get an established significant base of phones out there to handle everything, to, to basically support the consumer push. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is very different than the messaging that Microsoft's providing right now. Microsoft. I know they they are not really really addressing this this issue of of uh, your your in house app yeah. running on the phone, um, and it's it's not quite clear how that's going to work. And and I know I've heard concerns from uh, from uh, several corporate people about about that they that they have a a platform that's currently running on Windows Mobile 6 you know and and uh, what are they going to do with that yeah the existing mobile developers feel a little in a lurch especially the mm-hmm. guys who are building stuff that's not phone specific like the the scanners barcode readers those kinds of guys it sort of seem like they're orphaned at the moment or you know the guys who wrote apps for the iPack you know or PDA devices right. that you know like the like UPS uses mm-hmm. you know those ruggedized kind of uh, small form factor Windows CE devices. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by the Haystack Code Generator for .NET, code generation on steroids. Want more control over your code gen? Want your code generator to give you Silverlight 4, WPF, and ASP.NET CRUD screens? The Haystack Code Generator for .NET will generate entity, data, and business rule classes for all your SQL Server and Oracle tables, views, and store procedures. Haystack generates ASP.NET, WPF, and Silverlight user controls, view model classes, and WCF service layer classes for true end-tier applications. Check out CodeHaystack.com, download the user manual, and watch the videos for more information on this great product. They host a live webcast every two weeks. You can sign up at pdsa.com slash webcasts and see how Haystack will shorten your development cycle. Charles, can I change gears a little bit here? Sure. Because I know you're a fan of WPF, and I, and I hate to go back over the history here, but I feel like <laughs> Microsoft dropped the ball with WPF. The, the, and it really crystallized for me when we were on the road trip. We had this interview with Jay Schmelzer, and he talked about how much WPF4 was improved by Visual Studio implementing WPF as its UI. And of course it did. That's what always happens, right? When Microsoft sits down and uses their own technologies in their products, their technologies get dramatically better. So the next words out of my mouth were, where have you been for three years? (laughs) Yeah, well, one of the things they needed to do with Visual Studio was... uh, a lot of uh, improving the interoperability of WPF because of uh, all the Visual Studio add-ins and stuff right. like that. So, um, and uh, I'm not sure exactly what else they did. I saw a whole talk on this at, at PDC. There was, the, I think, the big thing for them was the, and and uh, Jay Hill hinted at this was. The bi-directional COM interoperability against WPF. Yeah. That yeah. WPF needed to call into COM objects and COM objects needed to call into WPF. And that was right, very right, challenging. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I, I don't think that Studio was the right platform to challenge WPF. <laughs> in, in, you know, in hindsight, and I admit 100% this is hindsight. Office 2007 should have implemented WPF. If you were serious about making WPF great quickly, you would take a flagship product 
and you would push it. This Office validated calm. You know, that's what made calm real. When Microsoft mm-hmm. bet Office on calm, we all knew calm's not going away. Go learn it. You know, you could waffle about OLEDB uh, or uh, 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 object linking and embedding. Mm-hmm. But you couldn't waffle on calm because they bet one of their most profitable products on it. And if they'd done that with WPF, I think WPF be a totally different product today. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, you're probably right. Um, I'm not so sure I agree with you, Richard. I just want to hear what Charles thinks. Yeah, let's yeah. hear what Charles thinks first. Of course, I, I imagine that the, pro- the, the prospect of porting uh, Office <laughs> to another, I, there must be chunks of Office that are so old. Um, yeah, I think when you use the words quickly and port Office in the same sentence, yeah, Richard, that's yeah. where I lost and, you. And of course... You would introduce a whole new array of, of office bugs, you know, in any porting. Um, I, I agree; it would have been it would have been an interesting process, and well, uh, maybe it'll happen sometime in the future. But. Well, now it's all, it's like if they go over to WPF now, they're almost too late. Yeah, because yeah. Office 2010 is now out, and it's also not WPF. Like, right. So it, all of a sudden the in, you know, we've missed that initiative. There used to be a rhythm to the way that Office and Windows shipped together that, you know, going all the way back to 95, where the new look of 95 was reflected in Office, mm-hmm. which was then pressed upon us as developers to make our apps look like that. It is possible, yeah. Richard, that they also see that um, Silverlight applications and web-based applications are the future and not un- yet another version yeah. of Office. yeah. And I'm not so I'm not I wouldn't categorize and I know you didn't say it per se, but it almost sounds like you said when you said Microsoft dropped the ball on WPF, it almost sounds like WPF is a flop. And I don't think that's the case. I think the what WPF set out to achieve, it has achieved. And I just think what what's going on here is that there is so much more of a push towards web distributed applications, whether it's Ajax or Silverlight, even HTML5. This is clearly the future for applications. So I just think that there's a shift away from desktop in general. That's why you're seeing less resources devoted to it over time. But I don't think that WPF as it stands today is a dismal failure. Yeah, I, I, I think technically that that is certainly not the case. Um, they spent so much time getting the, the, the first version of WPF out that it, it arrived basically as a, as a, as a grown-up uh, framework. Uh, and uh, so they, they haven't had to do a whole lot with it over the years, except the interoperability stuff. Um, and really, if, 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 if somebody came to you and said, we need to build a, a, a good, solid, uh, industrial strength client application for Windows, uh, WPF would be the way to go, right? Absolutely. Well, and the, I mean, the big thing for me around WPF was bringing the GPU into Windows. Yeah. Like we needed to retire the GDI 32. We needed a better way to mm-hmm. draw on the screen. So there's, there's not like there's any option here. WPF must succeed. It was core to the OS. It's a fundamental thing. It's that we didn't put it in the hands of developers very effectively. Microsoft yeah. sort of left us to find our way with WPF. And it wasn't until Silverlight came along that 
you started seeing some of the value and adoption around it that has now been transported back to WPF. Yeah, I know. That Silverlight became like the training wheels for building WPF developers. Yes. Whereas for me, it was it, Silverlight always seemed like the baby version of WPF. Right? Yeah. <laughs> well, you were an early adopter of WPF. Uh, on Twitter, uh, JRCS3 says, I hear that the phone's model, the Windows Phone 7's model, is contact-centric. I will be able to get all of Jill's tweets, Facebook, etc., by looking her up. Hmm. I, I know they're building some social networking apps for it. Um, yeah, the, 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 the phone is going to have pretty much unlimited access to the Internet, um, more so than conventional Silverlight apps. Because conventional Silverlight apps, if they want to pull something, well, conventional Silverlight app can, can uh, always pull photos from some website, I think. But anything else uh, requires there to be a, a, I forget what it's called, some kind of XML certificate in the root directory, uh, similar to what Flash requires. Otherwise, you can't access the website right. from a Silverlight app. On the phone, that restriction has been removed. Um, so you're pretty much uh, able to to do any type of, of web access you need uh, for your app. Um, the the big problem, of course, is 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 you may not be able to do it very consistently or at high speeds, depending upon where you are. Hmm. Yeah, it, it remains to be seen. I I think what um, JRCS three meant by uh, contact centric is that. Perhaps contacts that come from all of these different sites will be in some sort of, will be translated into some sort of standard form that the phone automatically understands. Yeah, Dan was talking about how he had his contact list from Outlook, but then all of his Facebook contacts appear as part of his contact list as well. Right. Mm. Or everything's treated, anything that looks like a person is treated as in the common contact. Mm. Right. Mm. And then those things can move around between those systems. So you could think of the phone maybe as a bridge between. Yeah. Outlook and Facebook and all of that stuff. Yeah. The downside is I feel like I'm going to crash the phone then when I hook up the, <laughs> I don't know, 3,300 uh, friends in Facebook. How many, How you know, I recently have been uh, faced with the task of going through my 9,000 contacts on my iPhone and just deleting them. That now it's, you know, when some people sit and they try to kill time by playing games on their iPhone, I delete contacts. <laughs> that's your game. That's huh? my game. Yeah. <laughs> Mike, that's, don't that's know whole, you, if, don't if you know you. If you can make that into an entertaining game, it, it might be... Hey, now, yeah. there you go. DeleteMyContacts.com. Yeah, you can, you can it, call it... would be like uh, a first-person shooter game where yeah. you're... I know. Your contacts. You, you can know? call it Space Invaders, because they're invading <laughs> oh, the space of your iPhone. I love it. <laughs> Charles, you are onto something here, man. <laughs> I love all, I should, yeah, just I like do, I should do that for uh, an app like that for deleting spam. Too. It's a first-person yeah. shooter, and as you walk around, the names pop out, and you just blow them away. <laughs> You're shooting them with your "I don't know you" gun. Yeah, that's right. And if it's your friend, uh, we'll leave them alone. They join your army, yeah. So then they shoot them, the people you don't want, with you. That. It's okay, we brilliant. got the killer app yeah. here. That's brilliant. a whole new level of contact measurement. That, I'm serious. That's brilliant. <laughs> uh, genius. No, seriously. That's very silly. I would play that game. <laughs> you are playing that game. <laughs> <laughs> There's a yeah interesting uh, whole set of thinking around contact management in general. Uh, 
and this is these are just apps for the phone ultimately but if we think about the consumer win for this product what it's going to take to actually make this a successful phone i think this is the piece more than anything for consumers and i recognize we're bad candidates for evaluating this because we're not normal consumers oh yeah 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 we I've got to imagine the regular mortal looking at this phone is going to look at that Facebook integration and go, ugh, or wow, and yeah. I don't know which one it's going to be. It is It is one more reason why I think we, we all need to be looking at actual uh, hardware right. is to see some of these apps, at least in a uh, in an early form, that uh, the apps that are going to be shipped with the phone and not just the apps that we're going to write for the App Store. Now, the other angle on this that I think is fascinating that you can represent is the XNA angle on it. Because you don't hear, you know, mm. we always hear about Silverlight <laughs> angle, but yeah. you're already doing XNA programming against the, the Zune HD. Yeah. Presumably, it's going to be the same experience on the, the Win Phone 7. Pretty much. Pretty much. The, uh, one of the interesting things, um, if, if you want to see, you know, Microsoft weirdness, is the, the XNA HD was supported under XNA Game Studio 3.1. Okay. Now, with the phone, you're up to XNA Game Studio 4.0. Right. That's The XNA Game Studio 4.0 supports the phone, it supports PC apps, it supports Xbox apps. Right. But not the Zune HD. What? Wow. <laughs> I know. Why? I, I, I am not sure. Um, because... I, I suspect it's because it's a slightly different XNA engine. Right. And they'd have to upgrade the Zune for that, the Zune HD for that. Well, that's not so, all that hard to do. Yeah, yeah. Unless it's a, unless it's a GPU issue. Right. I don't know. That, that's, that shouldn't be a GPU issue because you don't have the same hardware on the PC. Anyway, um, one of the... One of the cooler things in, in, in game studio, XNA Game Studio is that you can write a game for any of these three platforms, the phone, the PC, and uh, the Xbox. And with a, right, with a right click on the project name, you have a menu option to create a, 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 a project for the other two platforms. Interesting. And it just like, it just like, uh, it, it, goes through your code files and it puts uh, if-def statements in <laughs> for stuff that's, that's different on the platforms. Uh, but be, basically, you share code files and you, ha- you can have three different projects going at the same time for your game on these three platforms. Wow. Now, I am not, I am not, um, I am not a gamer myself. So this, the gaming culture and Xbox and stuff is, is a whole mystery to me. Okay. Um, I'm mainly interested in XNA from, uh, from a, a, a coding fun <laughs> perspective. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I have been finding it a great deal of fun because uh, there's, there's three, there's a, uh, it's X, XNA, there's 2D and there's 3D. In, in 2D, you're basically moving bitmaps around the screen. Um, and so it feels like you're coding very close to the hardware. You're, it's like you're very close to the iron, you know, back in the old days when we were doing assembly language. But you're doing it in C-sharp and managed code. <laughs> so, right. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, a nice, it's a nice little combination of, of, of 
old school graphics programming and and uh, with with modern languages. Right. Well, and that's the thing is you keep thinking that XNA is low level, so it should be C plus plus, but it's still C sharp. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Although I guess it is still lower level. I mean, you are working pretty close to the metal there. Yeah. Compared yeah. to Silverlight, anyway. Yeah, but um, so XNA is not the only platform for for doing uh, games on the Xbox and the PC and all, but it's the right. XNA is the only platform for doing games on on Windows Phone. And uh, game developers are actually leery of C Sharp and, yep. and managed code. It's a little high level for them. Yeah, and, and uh, they're nervous about the garbage collection for obvious reasons. Yeah. So when when I first uh, went to a, a a deep dive on the phone out in Redmond. Um, there was a whole little session where the the game programmers you know, sat around a conference table and and mold all this stuff over about how they're going to deal with C sharp and garbage collection. And and basically, the Microsoft guy was saying, you know, I had the same concerns, and we did it, and we're happier now. Right. Yeah. And you you become happier for all the right reasons with C sharp, you know, because you you there there are many types of, or let's say there are several types of very common bugs that are just impossible with C sharp. You know, yeah. <laughs> you can't over go beyond your array bounds. You know, it's just not it just won't happen. So, <laughs> when are you ever going to get a chance to talk to Charles Petzold, the guy who taught everybody how to write Windows programs? Those guys are retired. <laughs> We're still working, man. Come on. The guy who taught your dad how to write Windows apps. People say, "Wow, I learned I learned Windows programming with your your with the first edition of programming Windows." I go, "Man, you must be really old." <laughs> <laughs> but I was just thinking earlier uh, this year that. This is this is the year 2010. Yep. Um, 1985 was 25 years ago, mm-hmm. and in, 19, in 1985, uh, I was working with a beta version of Windows 1.0, and I was teaching myself Windows programming. Wow. You were working at Ziff Davis PC Magazine, right? Yeah, I, and uh, PC Magazine was was right in my neighborhood, uh, so I used to uh, it was, I used to drop by the offices all the time, and uh, with your floppies. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, see, I remember we, this interview we did with you years ago. This is the story. Yeah, Steve Ballmer and Tandy Trower would come by PC Magazine with the latest version of of, of uh, beta version of Windows 1.0. Oh, man. Yep. Oh. And it was not that good a product. It was cranky. Yeah, and, it was. And we had uh, Gem. I remember Gem. Oh, yeah, Gem. And the deck, back, yeah. There was a, back when there was competition for this, and I was a, I was a desk view fan. Yeah, mm, so compact. Got, well, but just, there was there. It, was, it wasn't the compact desk view. Was a a multitasker DOS Windows desk. No, I'm thinking of something else. Yeah, yeah. desk view. That's right. It was multiple versions was, of DOS DOS Windows. Yeah. Why yeah. would I wait? I called them wimpy mouse users for starters. Yeah. And uh, and I wanted yeah I wanted to use my machine better. I wanted multiple windows open, uh, but I didn't want to deal with all that overhead of all that graphic crap. Right. right? Right. So yeah, I was just popping up multiple desk view instances. And that back was... back when uh, PC Magazine did its its big cover story on the Windows Wars of, uh, and it was early 1986. There were four products that were, we looked at: uh, Windows 1.0 and Gem, yeah. which was also graphical, yeah, and Desk View, yes. which was the the DOS multitasker. And who can forget IBM Top View? Top View, yes, and the threat of OS two. <laughs> and Top 
Tupview was character mode. Yeah. And had a horrifying programming interface. It was assembly language only. Yeah. Dreadful. Oh, man. So painful. Well, and yeah, imagine how different the world would be if OS2 had really taken off. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, they, those were funny times, and uh, we they all worked in their own way. <laughs> what won me to Windows, and I'm sure I've told this story before, was Windows 3. It was a product called WinFax. Because I was busy trying to write fax automation software at a DOS level, and it was absolutely a nightmare. And this idea that a device context could communicate to a window, to a screen, to a printer, or to a fax machine, and it basically mm. be the same thing. Right. That was magic. And I'm like, okay, you're doing something cool. There's no better way to do this. That The concept of a device context is what won me over to Windows. Select mm -hmm. DC. Yeah. Select Charles, DC. Select DC. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Here, here comes my brush, baby. Here, realize <laughs> palette. That one stumped me so much. I was like, why do I need to realize my palette? I have selected it. Why can't you just apply it? Yeah. Maybe a little look at the source code would have convinced you why. Yeah, I'm sure. Oh, you know, I, I, you know, I was a, I was a VB programmer back then. Mm -hmm. When I was, I was learning it. When I was working at Crescent Software, I was learning how to program uh, two fifty six color bitmaps using your book because Visual Basic didn't ha only had sixteen color bitmaps ah, at the time. Okay, VB one zero. And uh, so I real I learned all about the GDI by l reading your book and, uh, and then translating. You must be really old. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I found a few um, un undocumented API calls that you didn't cover in your book. Oh, really? Yeah, like uh, split blit, split blt returns the uneaten portion of a bacon, lettuce, and tomato sandwich. <laughs> And, and uh, that's deep. And how about get Washington D.C.? <laughs> you pass it a million dollars, it returns a pointer to a seat in Congress. <laughs> oh oh boy, I'm sorry. I haven't told those jokes in years. <laughs> and now that I have an audience that can understand, yeah, them, it's, most it's more about like, finding oh. out who knows that they're funny. <laughs> Yeah, Jaspio says on Twitter, OS2 warped my mind. <laughs> yeah, no, warp was the third version. You know, I was, I was, right. yeah, because um, one of the things they told me was uh, when I was doing this, when I'm doing this phone book early on, they said, oh, you don't want hardware right now. It, it, it's, it's very unstable. And it's like, man, I have been working with unstable Microsoft beta products for, for 25 years, yeah. you know? I probably have run more beta Microsoft products and release Microsoft products. <laughs> <laughs> and back in, back in the, uh, there was OS2 1.0, which was the character mode uh, command line right. interface. And then 1.1 introduced the presentation manager. And they, mm. uh, Microsoft Press commissioned me to, to write a book about that would be delivered with the first OS2 PM SDK. So I was basically looking at PM in the alpha version. All right. And, the way this worked is that you would edit and compile your apps on the OS2 command line. And then you, you'd run your PM app off the command line. And it would start pulling in all the DLLs. And one of the DLLs would switch your screen into a graphics mode. Right. Bing, you're suddenly in graphics mode. And there your app is. 
in graphics mode. It's a window, and it's in PM with nothing else around it. Mm-hmm. There's, there's, there's just graphics mode and your app, and you test your app, and you exit your app, and you're still in graphics mode. Oh. And what you have to do then is reboot. Yes. There's oh. no way back. <laughs> oh. There's no way out. Wasn't there a DOS uh, command graphics like, on so and this off? This was like an edit, edit, compile, run, reboot cycle. <laughs> and this is, this is my early experience. This is my first experience with OS2 Presentation Manager. So, you know, I am accustomed to working with early Microsoft products. You know? <laughs> uh, man. Nothing could be quite as bad as that. Oh, low if you only had a virtual machine back then. <laughs> oh, man. That, yeah, on that hardware. Can... <laughs> yeah, wouldn't been too fast, you know. Did you ever uh, play around with Quick Basic? Uh, Quick Basic, a little. Um, I wrote an article for, um, oh, some early Windows magazine that was run by somebody I can't remember his name. Um, it was the the title of the article was. Was Quick Basic made me a better Windows programmer? Oh, cool! And it was stuff like the way that Quick Basic, um, and I think it's Quick Basic, right? That uh, that you could actually design your Windows with controls and stuff. No, that was um, Visual Basic for DOS, wasn't it? VB DOS. What was the first? What was the first version of Basic for writing Windows apps? That was uh, Visual Basic. Visual Basic 1.0. You sure? Hmm. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, that, that was, was the whole oh, okay. claim Maybe yeah. that was the... All right. Anyway, by... Yeah, there was a DOS. They did came out with a DOS version that was based on uh, PDS, you know, Professional Developer System 7, which was really like quick basic on steroids, but... Um, yeah, but it was still te- text-based. Text, text-only. From the same guys that brought you Turbo Pascal, there was Turbo Basic as mm-hmm. well, right? That's right. Yeah. Bob uh, Zale. I did do some basic programming in the early days. In fact, um, I remember writing a uh, TSR, uh, yeah. and uh, your audience, uh, the T- back in DOS days, TSR, Terminate and Stay Resident. These were programs you, you ran, and they occupied memory, and then you would hit some keystroke, and they would pop up to the screen, all in character mode. But what this did was that because, because the PC, the IBM PCs, had this built-in basic interpreter, Right. Yeah. Right. It was in ROM. If you uh, bought a PC without any disk drives, <laughs> it would boot up into this basic right. interpreter. Um, but I was able to write a TSR that would pop me into the basic interpreter. Nice. Wow. And then pop back to the DOS command line. Or uh, if you have some app running, you know, you can do it within the app. Um, so that if you want to do a quick calculation, <laughs> in the basic interpreter, you can <laughs> pop into that, you know, and do on the command line and hit enter, and there's your result, and you pop back to your your DOS app. That's very cool. Um, so that was that was my version of the the pop up cal- calculator. Well, that's uh, bringing us to the end of our show. So, uh, Charles, thank you very much for sharing this uh, time with us. Thank you for for asking me. That's been a great way to start the morning. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. 
.NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a transmitter band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a, a